So here we have the lovely Miss Lauren Dalrymple. Now I've known Lauren for many years. She's a Saturday night member. Um, so for those of us that don't know you in our Sunday morning gathering, Lauren, who are you? Um, so I'm Lauren. I go to Saturday night and I've also started going to Yarrawarra as well. I'm a high school English learning support and sometimes drama teacher. Um, and yeah, love coffee, love singing, playing piano. Yep. She's a great coffee barista too. <laughs> Um, so, Lauren, how have the last few months, um, and particularly the last few weeks, um, been for you? Yeah. Um, it's been f up and down. So, some things have been easier than others. Um, for me, I live with my mum. My mum has a really severe autoimmune disorder, so she really hasn't left the house since the beginning of March. So, it's meant a lot more um, responsibility for things that she would normally be doing, I've had to do. Um, I'm also a high school teacher, so I've been teaching from home. We've just recently started teaching um, on site again, so kind of a bit of a balance. I have quite liked having that time at home though, where you get to pause and stop, like that forced rest. So there has been some good things, there's been some not so good things. Um, yeah, I found it a bit different every day. Yeah, and we don't even know what the new normal is going to look like, do we? Yeah. So what are you looking forward to now that um, the restrictions are going to be lifted slightly? Mm. I'm hesitant in saying that in case yeah. they go back, but <laughs> what are you looking forward to? Um, so I am really looking forward to meeting together as church. Um, that would be... Um, lovely to see people and particularly to have that fellowship around meals. It's such an integral and unique thing about our church that I've been really missing. Um, I am really looking forward to having the gym back. So I've got my actual routine. I've not been doing so well online. <laughs> um, so things like that and just being able to, yeah, have little, little pockets of that connection in a community would be nice. Yeah, I think we're all feeling very similar to what you're feeling, Lauren. Yeah. Um, so thank you for coming in and um, what a blessing for us to get to know you. Heavenly Father, thank you for being the everlasting God, the creator of the earth. You alone rule our world. We thank you that you are in control of everything that is in it and especially of the COVID-19 virus and that we can have confidence in this. We thank you that you are also our loving Father. You have given us your Son for our salvation and given us the Holy Spirit to live within us and to guide us. Father, please forgive us when we don't trust in you enough, when we try and live in our own strength and follow our own desires. Help us to keep reading your word as it provides us with the wisdom we need to obey and please you. Help us as a church, Lord, to continue to connect with people, to phone or text those who may be isolated or feeling left out or depressed. Please bring comfort to those of us who are experiencing job losses, economic issues and mental health problems. We ask especially for your protection for the youth of our church, our shire and our country, of those who are vulnerable to the serious effects of depression and related me mental health illnesses. Lord, many of us feel out of routine 
and structures that we are used to. Help, us, help all of us to know from your word that they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Help us to watch and connect by commenting on our live stream meetings. Please give us the commitment to keep meeting each other on Zoom, even though we may be tiring of this. Give us the opportunity of sharing our online services with friends and families who may not go to church. And watching Facebook is a safe way of checking out your son, Jesus. Thank you so much for our pastors, staff, musicians, tech people, youth leaders, and all the volunteers who make our services take place and help us feel connected to you and each other. We are grateful for the ISO packs provided by our church, for the hard work preparing and delivering these packs to our youth and our church community. We ask for your blessing, Lord, as restrictions are lifted, that outbreaks won't be out of control and people will be wise and kind. We pray for a cure for the coronavirus to come soon and spare more people from the disease. We also pray for wisdom for our church as we start planning a way back toward face-to-face -to -face meetings. The decision about the tender for the South Village space is getting closer. We pray for your will, God, to be done and you will strengthen and equip us to move forward in ministry, whatever the decision. We ask you to give wisdom, courage and fortitude to our leaders who are making hard decisions on a daily basis. We pray for Scott Morrison, Gladys Berejiklian and the medical experts who advise them. Lord, we are so thankful for all of your many blessings to us during this time of restriction. Time spent with family, on hobbies, on walks and bike rides, and also, importantly, on opportunities for quiet times with you, Lord. Loving Father, be with each one of us this coming week, that we may live a life worthy of your calling. Guide and protect us in the blessed name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. We're going to read from Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 through to verse 18. So you can follow that on in your Bibles at home. But the words will also be on the screen beside me. Daniel chapter 4, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you all about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs! How mighty his wonders! His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He is called Belshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you 
and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, Cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now Belshazzar, Tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Well, good day, everyone. I don't know about you, but I've had a bit of extra spare time during this isolation season. Uh, I've been using it to read up a little bit on my history, uh, the history of my family. My dad and his parents were German migrants after World War II to Australia. And before that time, uh, my grandparents and my great-grandparents, a couple of generations back, uh, had actually lived as a, in a German Christian community in Palestine, in Haifa. And so I've spent a little bit of time reading about the history of the German people generally and the history of Germany, and also about the particular history of this uh, little Christian sect that my uh, grandparents and their parents before them had been a part of. Uh, now, before I started reading, I didn't have much of an idea of German history. In fact, probably only two things really stood out in my mind about German history. Uh, one is the Reformation with Martin Luther, uh, generally good. Uh, the other is the uh, Nazi regime and Adolf Hitler, generally quite bad. Um, in fact, what uh, has struck me as I've been reading a little bit of the history of Germany and thinking about modern day Germans is the way that they have interacted with their really atrocious past and the history of the German people under the Nazi regime. Uh, as I've been reading, it's been interesting to see that uh, throughout Germany, particularly in Berlin, um, but all over, there are monuments recognising the defeat of the German people in World War II. And then there's monuments and museums which uh, recognise the, the deaths of those Jews in the Holocaust. See, what's happening for the modern German people is they're remembering their past, they're recognising it, and they're seeking to make decisions now in the present because of their history, because of what they have learnt. They see the past, they remember it, and they want to live now in light of what they know. 
These kind of themes are going to come up for us in Daniel 4 and 5. What we have before us are the story of two kings, two kings of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar and King Belshazzar. Both kings suffer from the same sin, arrogance and pride. And what we're going to see is that both kings are brought low by God. They're brought to a place of humility. And yet only one of the kings actually learns from history, learns from their mistakes. Only one king recognises the place of God and therefore is restored. The other remains in their arrogance and pride and is destroyed. These are both cracking stories. We don't have a lot of time, so let me pray and we'll dig right in. Father God, please help us today to hear your word to heed its warning and to rejoice in its message of hope and grace. Amen. Well, the passage we had read uh, really sets the scene for the first of these kings. We've met King Nebuchadnezzar before. He was the king of Babylon during the first three narratives that we've already looked at so far as a church. He was the king who initially conquered Jerusalem who brought Daniel and his mates back and made them royal courtiers uh, and tried to give them the fee, the the finest cuisine of Babylon has to offer. He was also the king uh, who set his magicians and wise men the impossible task of telling him his own dream and then interpreting it to his satisfaction. He's the king who set up a 27 metre high statue of himself and ordered the entire kingdom to bow down and worship it under threat of death. He's also the king who witnessed Daniel and his mates to refuse Babylonian cuisine because they refused to fully assimilate into Babylonian culture. He's the king who heard Daniel give credit to Yahweh, the God of Israel, the true God of the universe, as he did tell and then interpret the dream in chapter 2. This is the same king, Nebuchadnezzar, who saw God's miraculous salvation of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego from the fiery furnace because of their own allegiance to God. Nebuchadnezzar has witnessed firsthand the faithfulness of God's people. He's witnessed firsthand the faithfulness of God in protecting his people against King Nebuchadnezzar's own schemes. And in fact, at the end of chapter 2 and the end of chapter 3, we see King Nebuchadnezzar recognise who God is. Have a look at some of these verses. At the end of chapter 2, when Daniel interprets his dream, Nebuchadnezzar says, Surely your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries. For you were able to reveal this mystery. And then, after seeing God's miraculous salvation of Daniel's mates from the fiery furnace... Nebuchadnezzar says this, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save in this way. It's quite brutal, probably a little over-enthusiastic, but you get the point. Nebuchadnezzar has at least twice already been brought to a place where he has shown the emptiness of his own 
arrogance and pride, where he's humbled before Yahweh, the true God of Israel, the God of the universe, the God of Daniel and his friends. And so it seems a little strange, even a little sad, that once again at the start of chapter 4, his arrogance and pride takes over. And that's the meaning and the fulfilment of this dream that we heard read for us. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is that great and awesome tree under whose branches, that is, under whose reign, the people have flourished. You see, at this time, Babylon is quite an amazing powerhouse. Nebuchadnezzar is a great king. He is a great architect, builder of the, uh, some of the wonders of the ancient world. He is a great ruler of his people. And in his mind, this leads once again to arrogance and pride. Have a look here at verse 30. Is this not the great Babylon I have built? as the royal residence, by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. The dream is a warning to Nebuchadnezzar. God is saying, no, you're not awesome, Nebuchadnezzar. I am. I am the one who has given this kingdom to you. But because of your failure, once again, to give honour and praise and glory to God, God is going to bring Nebuchadnezzar low. He's going to remind Nebuchadnezzar of who he is and who Nebuchadnezzar is in relationship to him. Uh, and this is just what happens. Just as the tree in the dream is cut down, Nebuchadnezzar is brought low. He loses his mind. He runs away from the palace. He lives as a beast in the field for a season. It's an utter humiliation for such a great king of such a great kingdom. However, just as the stump in the dream is protected and then allowed to regrow, so Nebuchadnezzar is likewise restored. Have a look at verse 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. And then I praised the Most High. I honoured and glorified him who lives forever. It's quite clear to see the judgment and the humiliation that God brings against Nebuchadnezzar during this passage. Uh, it's a sharp rebuke to this proud and arrogant king. But you also see the grace of God at work here in this verse. What did Nebuchadnezzar have to do to be restored? How was it that he was made right with God? It's right there. All he did was raise my eyes towards heaven. All Nebuchadnezzar does, all in fact that he is capable of doing in his beast-like state, is to lift his head and acknowledge who God is and who he is in relationship to him. You know, it reminded me of Jesus' parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, uh, two men who were at the temple praying. And the Pharisee in his uh, pride tells God how amazing he is as a person. The tax collector can't even lift his head. He's bowed his head in humiliation and he just confesses to God, I am nothing. I have nothing. And as Jesus tells his parable, he says only one of those two men walked away from the temple justified, right, with God. And it was the tax collector, the one who in his humility knew who he was in the face of God. Well, just like the tax collector in Jesus' story, Nebuchadnezzar, by humbling, acknowledging his need for God, he returns home. He's returned to his sanity. 
And he's actually restored as a position of king of Babylon. Which is then the last we hear of Nebuchadnezzar, because as you turn the page then to chapter 5, we jump about 25 years into the future. We jump over three kings and we land in the reign of Belshazzar, the co-regent with his father. Uh, And the narrative drops us straight into an out-of-control drunken banquet where Belshazzar and his many wives and concubines are celebrating with about a thousand of their closest friends. And then as part of this enormous drunken festivity, Belshazzar orders that the sacred cups that have been ransacked from Yahweh's temple, God's own temple in Jerusalem, be brought in. And they are used to toast the so-called gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood and stone. What's important for us to note uh, is that Belshazzar does not ask for these cups simply because he's run out of plastic beer tumblers. This is an intentional affront to God, the true God of the universe. He's metaphorically, though intentionally, spitting in the face of Yahweh. His pride and arrogance not only matches that of Nebuchadnezzar, but it far surpasses that of the chapter before. Now, as he's doing this, as he's toasting these false gods, immediately this disembodied hand pops up and starts crafting words into the plaster of the wall. Belshazzar, understandably, quite freaked out. Uh, But since neither he nor his magicians are able to interpret these words, he reluctantly calls in Daniel. Daniel does interpret the words, and spoiler alert, it's bad news for Belshazzar. But before he gets there, he uh, gives King B a bit of a short history lesson. You see, Daniel reminds Belshazzar of the great king Nebuchadnezzar, his predecessor by three kings earlier. Uh, Let's take up the narrative from verse 18. Your majesty, the most high God gave your father, he's using that term figuratively, your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendour. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, again, figuratively speaking, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Here's Daniel's point. Belshazzar, you know me. You know my story. You know the stories of the great King Nebuchadnezzar. We're only talking about 25 years. This is not ancient history. You, Belshazzar, knew that Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, the true God of the universe, whose cups you mockingly use in your drunken festivities, you know that he brought Nebuchadnezzar low, but then restored him again when he recognised God for who he really is. Nebuchadnezzar turned away from his pride. He humbled himself before the true God of the universe and was saved. You, Belshazzar, you knew that truth. 
but you failed to learn the lessons of history. You failed to heed its warnings. You have refused to humble yourself like Nebuchadnezzar. And that's why tonight your kingdom comes to an end. Which is exactly what happened. That very night, Babylon is overrun by its enemies. King Belshazzar is killed and the mighty kingdom of Babylon comes to an end. As I said, they're cracking narratives and there's a great deal of detail that I've sort of skipped over. But of course, the question, as always, is, well, so what? Why have these stories been recorded for us in Scripture? What, as God's people today, do they have to say to us? Uh, Part of the answer, as we've seen in, in previous weeks, is that the book of Daniel is a book of hope for those living under oppressive regimes. When we see that political or cultural forces of this world are against God's people, we are not to lose heart. God is sovereign, even over uh, proud and arrogant rulers and authorities. Some of these rulers he may humble to a place of repentance. Others God may simply depose. But for us, living as exiles and strangers in this world, it is good and comforting news to remember that no political system, no corrupt government, no secular forces or cultural elites can ever truly stand up to the God of the universe. While we may not always see God's hand in our immediate circumstances, we are assured of his presence and his purposes for us. Uh, And therefore, as one commentator has said, we we are free to hang loosely on the world because we know that our hope rests elsewhere. We are free to hang loosely on the world because we know our hope rests elsewhere. We'll keep coming back to this point over the next few weeks, particularly as we get into the back half of Daniel. But there's something else in this passage that acts as both a warning and also a promise to us. You know, I started talking about my own history and the history of the German people who are seeking to live now in light of the dark reminder of their past. You see, Germans are seeking to know their history and to be reminded of it regularly, and they allow that to then shape their present. As we saw, Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, well, one stumbled and one utterly failed. They both knew the greatness of God. Nebuchadnezzar had experienced it firsthand, and Belshazzar, he well and truly knew the stories. And yet their pride kept them from acknowledging who God is and who they are in relationship to him. Well, we too have access to these narratives of Scripture. In fact, even more than Daniel and his mates, we have access to the end point of Scripture, the very stories of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us on the cross. This is what John reminds us of uh, when he writes in his Gospel, the very end, he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may know and believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The warning for you and for I is the same as for Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. We know the stories of Jesus. We know what it is that he has done, the things that he has taught. We know that we are sinners. We know that we have fallen short. We know that the right posture towards God is one of humility. 
asking forgiveness for the things that we've done wrong and for the things that we haven't done that we ought to have done. The question is whether you and and I, like Nebuchadnezzar, will recognise our own failings and look up towards heaven, raise our eyes to Jesus seated on the throne, or whether we, like Belshazzar, will stick with our pride and refuse to give Jesus the honour and glory that he deserves. The good news of the gospel is the good news that Nebuchadnezzar experienced firsthand. That those who raise their eyes to look upon Jesus and who say with humility, you are God and I am not. Forgive me for all that I have done wrong. All those will be saved. This is a promise for you, whether you're a long-term member of Soul Revival Church or whether you're checking into this feed for the first time during isolation. The promise is the same. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I'm going to pray a prayer of repentance. Uh, And if you, like King Nebuchadnezzar, would like to renounce pride, your sin, to be restored with the promise of forgiveness and eternal life, then I encourage you to pray with me. Let's pray. Father God, I humbly raise my eyes towards heaven, aware of my own pride, my own sin, my own failures and faults. I know that I deserve your condemnation. But Father, your promise, you promise me forgiveness, restoration and everlasting life. Thank you for the work of your son Jesus on the cross taking my sin in his death and giving me assurance of new life in his resurrection. How great are your signs, how mighty your wonders. Your kingdom is an eternal kingdom. Your dominion endures from generation to generation. We praise and exalt and glorify you, the King of heaven, because everything you do is right and all your ways are just. Amen. If, uh, if you've prayed that prayer, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you're watching this on Facebook, you can comment on the thread below or you can send us a private message. Otherwise, you can jump onto our website, soulrevivalchurch.com forward slash contact. Uh, you can call the phone number there and get in touch with our Senior Pastor Stuart or you can fill in the contact form below. But we would love to hear from you. One way. Thanks again for listening to the Soul Revival Church podcast. Uh, just a reminder, if you want to watch any of these services that we hold live, you can go to soulrevivalchurch.com and you can see all the gatherings at the top of the page. You can choose anyone you wish. It can be on Friday, Saturday or Sunday. Thanks again and one way. Music is okay by Ixit. Thank you.